Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Very exciting times on the West Coast. There's wonderful weather this week, Finally. And wonderful weather in L.A. is 80 degrees, no humidity, sunshine all day, not overcast in the morning. So I finally feel like I'm starting to get a teeny weeny piece of my life back. I went to brunch with some girlfriends over the weekend at Margot in Culver City. It's one of my favorite restaurants. We had an amazing boozy brunch, which made me very happy. I have not had a boozy brunch in quite some time. I can't even remember the last time I had a boozy brunch. I went to a restaurant for the first time in months. A couple weeks ago, I went on a date. A good date. A nice gentleman. I did enjoy his company and his conversation. But that is neither here nor there. Boozy brunch, like it made me so happy. Like I almost felt regular for the first time in a very long time. But I made an interesting discovery as I was trying to get dressed for brunch. One, my clothes actually do still fit. I didn't get too fluffy during COVID. I'd lost a bunch of weight and then I'd gained some of it back, but I'm still in fit in clothes territory. So I'm good money. But I don't have like a sense of fashion or style right now. Like I'm so used to being in comfort clothes. I had to dig through the drawer to find a proper brassiere. I usually just wear sports bras. I really had to like dig through my drawer and was like, where are my bras? That was a challenge. It was a good brunch with some girlfriends. We were celebrating her genius, Aretha. And then the following day, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't know about LA. And like, I'm thinking about Atlanta. And then I go back and forth. But I've decided to stay in LA at least 
for another 15 months. I'm moving to a new place. Yes, again. I don't have enough space in my space. So I'm going to move again. But um, 80 or 85 degree days in LA, the, the group chat is, whose pool are we going to? And then there's all these pool options. The quiet, cute, small pool is my pool. But there's also rooftop pools with like amazing 360 views of DTLA. And then there's there's Olympic-sized pools with cabanas. There's also the beach. I love being in the group chat trying to figure out like whose pool we're going to go to. But we went with a North Hollywood pool because it was cute and quiet. And you can see the mountains. You can see the mountains from the pool. I love L.A. today. That's really the only thing that I've done. I, um, I haven't had a lot of downtime lately, so I missed... The Tina Turner documentary on HBO Max. I still haven't seen it, but people have been raving about it when I get around to watching it, which hopefully will be sooner than later because I need a little downtime. I'll let you know my thoughts. I really do need some downtime, though. Like, I'm not having the freak out that I had, like, last October. Um, We're almost there, though. Like, I, I need to get out of here. I need to travel somewhere and see something different. I was actually contemplating going to Miami. That's how bad it was. And I was like, yeah, no, they just like shut down part of the city. Not that I really hang out in South Beach when I go to Miami, but still, I don't want to do Miami for spring break. But I think I got caught in Miami for spring break when I was 25. And I was like, dear God, never again. It is crazy. And even people who live in Miami are just like, what the fuck? Like people went crazy this year. So I'm trying to stay put. I'm also trying to plan my birthday party. I didn't do anything exciting for 40 or 41, but for 42, I would like to do something. A cute getaway, maybe. Another escape to Mexico, maybe. I like those middle of nowhere trips and and villas where there's no other people around. So maybe I can finagle that. I need something, though. This week in Black Excellence, we have very good news to report. Almost. That's me being shady. The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that Donald Glover has an overall deal with Amazon. They say he has exited his pact with Disney-owned FX for a multiple-year, eight-figure overall deal. The pact is believed to include a content channel of sorts that will spotlight Glover's work and other curated content on Amazon's Prime Video Hub. One of the projects allegedly that Glover is working on is a potential series called Hive, which is rumored to revolve around a Beyonce-like figure. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the project is already staffing, and one of the sources they spoke to noted that Malia Obama is among those recruited to work on the series. It's very, very exciting, but I still have one question. Where is Atlanta. We've been waiting on Atlanta since 2018. Where is Atlanta? The series was picked up for seasons three and four. Allegedly, it started shooting in March, quote unquote, overseas. In fairness, it was impacted by COVID and it was supposed to air in 2020. But like many other shows, it got pushed back. So we are getting Atlanta at some point. But congratulations to Donald Glover in the meantime. I like him. I think he's smart. Alex Beresford, do you remember that name? He is the, he's the weatherman from Good Morning Britain who went the fuck off on Piers Morgan. And Piers Morgan stormed out 
and then reportedly quit, which I think he got fired. But he says that he resigned. But Alex Beresford called Piers Morgan on his shit after Piers Morgan, for years, was attacking Meghan Markle. He said some unkind things about her after her interview with Oprah. And then the weatherman went off. It was beautiful. If you've never seen the footage from that, please take a look. He's officially replaced Piers Morgan on the show. So he's no longer just the weatherman. He's officially a part of the morning team. Piers Morgan also did an interview with the Daily Mail about his clash with Beresford, who is 40. He's a gorgeous man. Wait, pause. Have you seen this new video of Beresford that's circulating? For his first day at Good Morning Britain, he celebrated by hula hooping. Now, I don't know what country his people people come from. He's living in Britain, but like his people people, I think they from the Caribbean because he was hula hooping and them, them hips was just moving and swirling and shaking and he was up and then he was down and then he was up and I was like, oh, sir, you can dance and probably do other things really, really well. And because the internet is the internet, they set his hula hooping to some dance hall music. You know, the internet is just undefeated. It's glorious. I'll post the video on my page so you can experience this glory with me. It was very wonderful. It's very agile. 40-year-old man. He's in excellent shape. High tush. Very high tush. Real cutie pie. But uh, Morgan went on to say that he was, he didn't say disappointed. What did he say? He said Beresford was equally uptight and launched into a very personal attack against him. He pulled a you on you. You've been going off about Meghan Markle for years because you're mad she ghosted you. He wasn't even belligerent. He came to you with, with a lighter version of you. Bullies are the worst. This is the part of the interview that I really did not care for, though, with what Pierce said, not what Alex said. Reflecting on the confrontation with Alex, he said, uh, I don't mind outside guests trying to make a name for themselves by whacking me like this, the way he does other people, again. But I wasn't going to sit there and take it from one of my own team, especially someone who I've gone out of my way to help whenever he's asked me for advice about his career. Is it is it me? That just sounds very like stank, whitey, entitled, nah, assholey. Just like to remind people that you've helped them. Like if you help someone, you do it to do it. I mean, you may do it for a favor in return, but should that favor be to like let you attack a woman constantly, belligerently for years? I don't think so. I've gone out of my way to help him, sir. Well, he helped himself to your fucking job. Oh well. I have no love lost for Piers Morgan. I also have no love lost for his little friend, Sharon Osbourne. We talked about her meltdown on her talk show on CBS multiple times. They went on one hiatus and they extended the hiatus and they extended the hiatus again. And finally, they just went ahead and announced like Sharon's out. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was something about like, you know, her her behavior or her views, something don't align with the mission of CBS, blah, blah, blah. And so she's gone. Good riddance. Apparently, she was just horrible behind the scenes. However, because, you know, white folks love to fail up. She's out at the job, but she was under contract. So they have to pay her out. Page Six is reporting that Sharon is walking away from the talk with a payout of a minimum of five to ten million dollars. She was also able to spin it as she was resigning and not being fired. The source says that Sharon will blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Maybe I'll actually watch the show now. Because Deary Lane is on there. Elaine. So the talk has been 
off for about two weeks now, but it's finally going to return on April 12th without Sharon Osbourne. That should make for a much more pleasant viewing experience. I may actually tune in now. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. What else is going on? There's so much. The Derek Chauvin trial started today. It has been inaccurately referred to as the George Floyd trial. I always like to remind people when they call it such that George Floyd is not on trial. George Floyd was murdered by a police officer who, for all this time, we've been saying the officer kneeled on his neck for eight minutes and 42 seconds, killing him. It came out today that the officer actually kneeled on his neck for, I want to say, almost nine and a half minutes, nine minutes and 20 seconds, something like that. Have you ever kneeled on anything for an extended period of time? A lot of y'all have filthy minds, and that's not what I was referring to. I was thinking more like, you know, at church or cleaning something or even protesting. So I went protesting this summer. Lord, the millennials, they like to like just kneel in the street, like these random intervals. And I'm like, girl, these knees are 41. I can't be kneeling on concrete. I had to figure out some tips so not to like blow out my knees trying to protest for my black ass rights. He kneeled on him for over nine minutes. I have not watched any of the trial. I've seen people talking about it online. I've read a couple of reports. I have not seen the video of George Floyd's murder. I have avoided it all of this time, and I don't ever want to see it. It's one of the lines I draw in the sand about trying to protect my mental health. And I'll also be honest, I don't have high hopes for this trial. Like, I know that there, there is a video of the murder, multiple videos from multiple angles and multiple witnesses. And I know that seeing that video sparked a nationwide, international, actually, outcry about um, injustice and race and police violence. But just the American, quote, unquote, justice system being what it is, I honestly can't call what's going to be the outcome of this trial. Because I really believe that people could watch that video, similarly to the Rodney King video. I believe, quite possibly, quite probably actually, that an American jury can watch that video of a murder and be like, eh, not guilty. How many times have we seen it before? I hate to be a pessimist in that way, but I don't think of it as pessimism. I think of, I think of it as realism and knowing American history and how it likes to repeat itself. I just, I don't have my hopes up for justice in this case. I hope that I am proven wrong. I I dearly, dearly hope that I am proven wrong. 
I hope that there is some justice for Floyd's family. We'll see. Because this is America. Huh. I want to talk about Tamika Mallory and uh, the mother of Tamir Rice. After the Grammys, or maybe during the Grammys, a couple weeks ago, Tamir Rice's mother, I'm looking for her name on my screen. I just have her referred to as Rice. Samaria. Samaria Rice. Tamir Rice, just as a reminder, is the young boy who is playing with a toy gun at a playground. And the police just ran up on him and murdered him, if I recall correctly, in Cleveland. During the Grammys, Little Baby did a performance, and the performance was about activism and injustice and Black Lives Matter. Tamika was featured, and she was standing at a podium, and the scene around her was people protesting, which is use her voice to call out injustice and call for the better treatment of Black people. Let me see if I can find a clip, because I really did like what she said. And when I saw her speaking at the Grammys, I liked that there was a moment of activism. I liked that she was present because, you know, everyone made a big deal about Black Lives Matter and and George Floyd and and Breonna Taylor and calling out injustice and, and systemic racism when it comes to black people. And it was like a really trendy thing to do last summer. And then now it seems to be like really trendy to be, you know, stop Asian hate, like everyone's using the hashtag and injustice against people of color, whether they are black or whether they are Asian, is not a trend. It's not like, oh, it's exciting to you until you go out to protest because everything else is closed and you need something to do. It's an ongoing issue. So even when, you know, mainstream, by which I mean white people or even corporate, when they get bored with, you know, updating their sites with Black Lives Matter or Stop Asian Hate, these communities, our communities, still deals with police brutality and voter suppression and systemic racism and and unequal health care and all of those things that activists like Mallory are out here putting their lives on the lines for it, like literally putting their lives on the lines. I don't know Tamika personally. We're more like high bye and a hug when we see each other. We're not besties. We're not close. I don't have her number, but I do know her story. And last time I saw her speak, I want to say it was Bowie State. It's a few years ago at this point, but she was on the panel talking about how she'd been arrested 40 times. I'm sure it's been many more since then, but that's that's not an act. You don't go to jail 40 times for clout. We'll get into the clout thing in a second. Let me pay you a bit of her clip. It's a state of emergency. It's been a hell of a year. Hell for over 400 years. My people, it's time we stand. It's time we demand the freedom that this land promises. President Biden, we demand justice, equity, policy, and everything else that freedom encompasses. And to accomplish this, we don't need allies. We need accomplices. It's bigger than black and white. This is not a trend. This is our plight. Until freedom. Until freedom. I liked it. Oh, this is what I was saying earlier. I lost this train of thought, but I think it's important. The Grammys are the Grammys. It's about music. It's about great songs. It's about great videos. It's about fashion. But I appreciated that in the middle of this escapism, that here was this reminder that black lives matter and we still need justice for a whole host of issues. It didn't bother me to see a performance that included activists, that included Mallory at a podium with a bunch of microphones like she was a press conference. It didn't bother me to see her calling what's occurring in America as a state of emergency. Samira Rice. Mother of Tamir Rice, 
felt differently. Either during or just after the performance, she took to social media and she said of Mallory, look at this clout chaser. Did she lose something in this fight? I don't think so. That's the problem. They take us for a joke. I think they is white people in this sense. That's why we never have justice because of shit like this. She was no fan of the Grammy performance. She did a follow-up interview with Cleveland.com. Mallory was not the only activist that she called out. She also mentioned Sean King, which a lot of people have issues with him. Benjamin Crump. He gets the same criticism that Al Sharpton used to get. Every time there is a murder of a black person, usually a black man, as soon as the family hits the media circuit, Benjamin Crump is their lawyer of choice. I probably said some not so favorable things about him, and I don't think I've said it on here, but I probably referred to him as an ambulance chaser. But I also had to check myself because I was like, this is his job. Like he gets settlements, good settlements for families whose relatives have been murdered by the police. Somebody's got to do it. He's good at it. Should he not do it? She also spoke about Lee Merritt. I don't know who Lee Merritt is. Who is Lee Merritt? Let's look that up real quick. Oh, Lee Merritt is another one of the civil rights attorneys. I'm reading now. I'm glad I looked it up. He's running for attorney general in Texas. Huh. Okay. Um, Patrice Cullors from Black Lives Matter. And then also Melina Abdullah. You remember Melina Abdullah. You, don't, you may not know her name if you're outside of L.A. She's a very well-known activist here. Think back, maybe last summer, there was a story we talked about about a black DA who had not been meeting with the Black Lives Matter activists in L.A. And Abdullah leads Black Lives Matter L.A. So the DA wouldn't meet with, with Black Lives Matters folks. And so they went to protest at her home. At first, they were across the street, and then some of the activists came onto her porch and started ringing the doorbell and knocking on the door. And this was around six something in the morning at that time of year. It was still dark in LA. So the DA's husband, old black man, I mean, and literally like a black man in his 60s, came to the door with his gun waving at the protesters. There's video of this, obviously. They did this to provoke him. The video goes viral. A bunch of newspapers in LA covered the incident. Some people, I was one of them, was like, I don't think the old black man was wrong. It's one thing to protest the DA at her job. It's another thing to come into the neighborhood and protest in the street and make a bunch of noise. Fine. But to come up on somebody's house? I was like, that old black man, when his woman is in the house, she's not the DA. That's his wife. He got two jobs. As the man of that house, defend that house and defend that woman. You coming up, knocking on the door, ringing the doorbell, six something in the morning and it's dark outside. I wrote about it on social media and a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of women too, was like, yo, my daddy taught me how to shoot. They would have got met at the door with my gun too. 6 a.m., dark outside, ringing my doorbell on my porch. Those aren't for play play hours. A lot of folks pointed out them activists tried that in L.A. They better not try that shit in Texas, not in Florida, not in Louisiana. Fuck it. Don't try that nowhere in the South. And in, in, in California, they might be like, oh, my God, I can't believe. In, in the South, they were like, you goddamn right he came to the door with a gun. He did it and he should do it again. That's a good Christian, God-fearing, gun-toting man. He did what the fuck he was supposed to do. That's how I learned about Melina Abdullah. At the time, I was like, sis seems like a great activist. She does the work. She's been doing the work her whole life. My criticism was not of her. My criticism was of her tactics because I was like, I mean, thank you for protesting for my black ass rights. I, I appreciate you, sis. 
I don't want you dying out there to do it. And I know a lot of people have given their lives. I don't want you to be one of them. She got kids, man. So I didn't agree with her protest tactics. However, there was an election coming up. Everyone thought the black DA was going to win by a landslide. There were two people up against her. She didn't. So there had to be a runoff. And in that runoff, I guess it was November, the black DA lost. So I was like, oh, shit. I didn't agree with sis's tactics. But I think sis's tactics were effective. That's what I knew at the time about Melina Abdullah. And then I ended up working on a project with her. We did a roundtable discussion for Amazon about, remember that small act series about the black Caribbean community in England and social injustice? And we spoke about um, the similarities and what was happening in 70s England and what is happening in America at the time or just before. And then also in present America. And I thought she was a warm and passionate person and one of those people that you walk away from discussion and be like, nobody loves black people more than her. And she's been through a lot with like arrests and protests and, you know, all sorts of stuff. She told me things, but I don't know if they were necessarily for public consumption or just conversation backstage. I wasn't engaging her as a journalist. So I want to be mindful of what I share from what I know of her, her work, and then from meeting her. I thought she was a wonderful and genuine person. It's not about what I think. This is a segment about what Samira Rice thinks. And so, so she went off on social media. And if you go to her Facebook page, she went off multiple times. Like she has several posts about her feelings about several well-known activists in the Black Lives Matter movement, which is to say she's not a fan of most of them. She did a series of social media posts and then she spoke to cleveland.com. And then she also released a press statement. Mother Rice goes on to say, we never hired them to be representatives in the fight for justice for our dead loved ones murdered by police. These activists, which she has in quotes, have events in our cities and have not given us anything substantial for using our loved ones images and names on their flyers. We don't want or need y'all parading in the streets, accumulating donations, platforms, movie deals, etc. off the death of our loved ones while the families and communities are left clueless and broken. Don't say our loved ones' names, period. I hated to see this um, conflict spill out into the media because historically, um, when there is discord among activists or discord among members of the community, it has always been the case that the media, which in some ways I'm part of, plays people against each other. And it's one of the ways that effective movements are, are brought to their knees. And I could have covered this a couple weeks ago when it happened. I wanted to give Tamika, because she seemed to be um, the most direct hit in Mother Rice's commentary, I wanted to give her a chance to respond out of respect, because I feel like she's done the work to, um, to earn the respect of, of waiting for a response. But Tamika did respond, and she was very thoughtful, which I was very pleased to hear. She has, a, she has her own podcast called Street Politicians. She said, from my perspective, as a mother, I want to make sure that I speak directly to Miss Rice. Um, and I'm reading this from BET.com, just like to cite my sources. She said, she was like, I just want to make sure that we start off grounded in the fact that nothing we say today is an attack on Miss Rice. Quite frankly, Miss Rice is right. I support 100% how Miss Rice feels and what she has stated in terms of her pain, in terms of her son. I feel like we all have failed her. 
The fact that she did not get the proper justice for her son would make anyone angry. So I totally respect the pain and the trauma that she feels as a mother. She also added, I think it's important to clarify whether we have used Ms. Rice's child, her baby, in campaigns or in speeches and fundraising. We have not. She said, other than potentially calling the role of all the people who have been killed by the state, I have been very careful not to speak about cases or individuals that I have not worked directly with the families. Tamika's been in a lot of fire lately. Um, she, I woke up this morning to a story about a story criticizing her for appearing in a Cadillac commercial for Women's History Month, but appearing in a Cadillac commercial nonetheless, and, and people are mad that she has taken corporate dollars, which I just kind of want to ask people, how do you think like all these things are being funded? But a lot of people were really upset about that. And some not so much. They pointed out that, like, what is she supposed to do? I mean, like, Sean King, he is constantly hawking a product, constantly crowdsourcing, which he gets great criticism for. Are activists supposed to be broke? Like, they have needs like everyone else. And they like to, like, live, too. Should they constantly be in and out of arrest? Like, constantly... um, I don't know, just protesting? Like, do they have no, do they get to have no life other than that? I used to have these conversations with, before I actually started going out and protesting, I used to have these conversations with friends and I'd be like, okay, like I'm, I'm talking about the protest, but I'm not going out to protest, but I'm sending money to protesters. Like, does that count? And I felt very guilty about that. It's one of the reasons I went out to protest. But in, in speaking to like the elders, they were like, protests need money. Like these things don't fund themselves. Like they need donations. So sometimes it's corporate and sometimes it's crowdsourcing and sometimes it's individuals, but they need money. Activism is not cheap, but everyone did not agree. I was in a great Facebook discussion about it. And some folks were like, you know, this is an opportunity for her to be compensated for her labor and to share her story with a larger audience. Like that is the benefit of being in a commercial for Cadillac. That is a benefit of being on the Grammy stage. You're going to reach more people at both of those places than you will at a protest, which is only going to have a few thousand people. Maybe it'll get picked up by national media. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But other folks were like, she's being exploited. The message is being exploited. It puts eyes on the product instead of the work. I think that's also a valid opinion. I think if you're looking at a Cadillac commercial, she's there for the reason that everyone's in a commercial to help draw eyes to the product being sold. It's a fair critique, I think. But I also don't believe in black folks being broke. And Lord knows she's doing the work. So I do think that she should be compensated. And if it's, if it's not via the people, then it's got to be via somebody. Shit. I hope, Miss, um, I hope Mother Rice, Miss Rice, can find whatever kind of peace you can possibly find when your kid is killed. I don't, I don't know even what that could possibly look like. I'm glad that, that Tamika addressed her respectfully. It, it seems as, as Mother Rice is not really open to the response. I don't really know what else to say about that. I feel terrible for this mother. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Last but not least, I wanted to talk about this Atlanta voting rights or, or the recent disenfranchisement, I guess is probably the better way to refer to it. Last week, Georgia signed into law a series of new laws that made it harder to vote in Georgia. And it's part of a larger trend in the country. I read, I think it was on CNN, Republican legislators in at least 43 states have introduced more than 250 bills to suppress or constrain voting. This is according to the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU Law School. NYU is my alma mater. Go Bobcats. All these new proposed restrictions are a result of the former occupant of the White House claiming that the 2020 election was stolen in some massive fraud. This, again, despite a statement from the Department of Homeland Security saying that the November election was the most secure in American history. So despite that secure election, legislators, Republican legislators, are trying to change the voting laws to quote and unquote, make them more secure. Really, to keep black and brown folks from voting. Because when we come out in numbers, Republicans can't win. So Georgia, I don't know if they're the first state to pass laws, but they have passed the most oppressive ones. Governor Brian Kemp did this closed door signing of these new laws, this 98 page measure that has like baffling shit. Like now you need a photo ID to vote absentee, which I was like, how, how does that work? And do they know the logistics of this? Cause I've read like a bunch of articles on it and no one's actually said how that works. So in addition to crippling limits on mail-in voting, there's restrictions on early voting. There's reduced voter registration opportunities. There was talk of banning Sunday voting, but enough folks went off, including the souls to the polls people that take folks to vote after church, black people. They got them to back off that. There's another one that's just like batshit stupid and just like, who agreed to this? It's a misdemeanor to hand out snacks or water to people waiting in line to vote. Which I was like, did you see those lines? Like people were standing in line for like eight hours, 10 hours. And so now you can't give people water or snacks? Now apparently they're allowed to have water and snack stands as a part of the polling place, but outside groups can't provide it. And it's an option for the polling place to do it. So basically, if they don't want to, they don't have to. And you could just stand outside in the goddamn heat voting with no water and no snacks for eight hours at a time. Like, what? That doesn't make any damn sense. But yet, it's now law 
in Georgia. Stacey Abrams, the founder of voting rights group Fair Fight. We love the Stacey. We've talked extensively about the Stacey and her revenge for Kemp stealing her rightful position as governor. Stacey Abrams called all this new voter suppression in Georgia blatantly unconstitutional and nothing less than Jim Crow 2.0. Yikes. One brave black woman who was like, this is some bullshit. She didn't say it, but I know she was thinking it. Kemp and his cronies did a closed door signing of this elections bill. State Representative Park Cannon. She went up and knocked on the door to argue for transparency. Like, you're going to do this crazy shit. Which I read somewhere. Kemp was sitting at this table and I think there were two or three white men standing lined up on, on each side of him. Which I was like, God damn it, it's George. Y'all couldn't find no black people for this photo op? Like, y'all just going to be real blatant with it. But apparently the picture behind him was a very picturesque painting of a plantation. Which I was like, optics, people, optics. Y'all not even trying not to look like racist. God damn. But Park Cannon, she went and knocked on the door. And police officers told her to stop. And mind you, she knocked. There's video of the whole thing. Like, she went up to the door. She knocked. Apparently, they told her not to knock on the door. And she knocked again. And the police arrested her. I mean, like, arrested her, handcuffed her, took her out of the building, put her into a police car, and then, like you know, went through all the rigmarole of like putting her in actual jail. She was in there like well into the night. They got her out the same day. But like, is that serious? Like move the woman away from the door, stand in front of the door so she can't knock. But like, you really going to arrest like a whole state representative for knocking on the door. Meanwhile, you know what I'm about to say? These white folks go storm the goddamn Capitol and leave when they get tired because they've been, you know, rioting all day. And they left to get some dinner and go to their hotels, fly out the next day. People be like, they're two Americas. Yes, we've known this for years. Must you be so blatant about it? But I guess that's actually the point. But to like reinforce the white people that like, sure, do whatever the fuck you want. And to reinforce the black people like, nah, we're going to kill your ass over like basic shit. Like allegedly counterfeit $20 bills or children playing with toy guns or I don't know, a woman in her business wear knocking on a fucking door. Like, was it really necessary to arrest her? Really? The state of Georgia has been sued by multiple organizations to get this bill overturned. Hopefully it can be done so before the next round of elections. President Joe called Georgia's new laws an attack on voting rights. He said he would use the example of Georgia as a focal point to push Congress to pass a federal package that would override state voting restrictions. There's a federal proposal in its early stages that would create automatic voter registration nationwide, allow former felons to vote, and limit the way states can remove registered voters from their roles. It would expand voting rights by mail and promote early voting and give states money to track absentee ballots. I mean, that sounds like a good idea. I don't know. This 50-50 Senate better get on it. I don't know how long we get to keep it. I mean, no criticism to Joe. Joe been on the money. He said 100 million vaccines in the first 90 days, and we hit that in like the first 45. Like, go Joe. But since you want to roll, you know, keep rolling. Get us some decent voting rights in this country. Jesus Christ. Not last and not least, I want to talk about this little Nas X video. Montero. There's so many folks, so many, so many good Christians. And this is a point that I know I'm about to like lose like listeners and followers and readership. And I'm okay with that. There's certain things that I'm, I'm happy to take the L for and defensive common sense. 
and also standing in alliance with the LGBTQIA community. Like, I'm, I'm good if y'all stop fucking with me because I, you know, endorse logic and queer folk. I'm good with that. Montero has just pissed just so many people off. And I'm like, do y'all even know what y'all mad about? Like, seriously. With this video, which is like 98% CGI, it depicts little Nas X is in the Garden of Eden. He's having a great time. A snake seduces him to have sex. He ends up on trial in like a Roman type coliseum. He ends up being stoned for being gay. And instead of going to heaven, he decides to take a ride on a very long stripper pole where he descends into hell while wearing thigh high patent leather boots and his drawers. He sees Satan sitting on the Satan throne. And so he gives Satan a lap dance. He twerks on Satan um, and then he snaps Satan's neck and takes the horns off Satan, putting them on himself. So he's embracing hell. He's turning into the devil. I mean, there's all sorts of interpretations that can go here. People were like, oh my God, little Nas X, you've lost your goddamn mind. How do you go from a, a good family-friendly song, like Old Town Road, to this shit? And little Nas X was like, yo, you know I was talking about like drugs and adultery in like Old Town Road. But they're like, why would you do this? Why would you praise Satan? He's like, what? I'm not praising Satan. He's like, my whole damn life, people, Christian people, I think is what he meant. But he said people, people have been telling him that he is a sin for being gay. And they have told him that he is going to hell because he is a man who wants relationships, who wants love, who desires intimacy with the same sex. You're going to hell because you're gay. So he was like, y'all told me to go. Y'all told me that's where I was headed. So I did a video about going there. What is the goddamn problem? Everyone wants to talk about the video. Everyone wants to talk about, oh, it's demonic. Oh, he's promoting Satan. Oh, the timing came out right before Palm Sunday, which is sacred to Christianity. What he's done is so disrespectful to us. Y'all not going to talk about telling kids they're going to hell? Little Nas X wrote an open letter to his 14-year-old self while promoting the video. Let me read it to you. I think to paraphrase it, I won't quite do it justice. He said, Dear 14-year-old Montero, and Little Nas X, his real name is Montero. He said, I wrote a song with our name in it. It's about a guy I met last summer. I know we promised to never come out publicly. I know we promised to never be that type of gay person. I know we promised to die with the secret, but this will open doors for many other queer people to simply exist. You see, this is very scary for me. People will be angry. They will say I'm pushing an agenda, but the truth is I am. The agenda to make people stay the fuck out of other people's lives and stop dictating who they should be. Sending you love from the future. Ellen X. Little Nas X. Y'all don't want to talk about that part though. Y'all don't want to talk about depressed 14-year-olds. Y'all want to talk about the image of, of black men and masculinity. You want to talk about these, these shoes that are coming out that allegedly have a drop of blood in them, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, yes, the company is marketing this little Nas X Satan shoe. They're selling 666 of them, which is, you know, the devil number. They're selling them for like over $1,000 a piece. They're also being sued by Nike to cease and desist. That's a whole separate thing that came up earlier today. There is no possible way on God's green earth. I believe I have to explain this. 
that there's actually going to be a shoe sold on the open market with a drop of human blood in it. It's just not going to happen, people. They're just saying that shit to get you to buy the shoe. Little Nas X, Jesus Christ, is not satanic. He is not a devil worshiper. Despite this Satan shoe, he is trolling y'all. The video with the devil that everyone's talking about, then the Satan shoe, it is all a part of a marketing campaign for his new video. Have y'all learned nothing from all those years with Madonna? Oh, the imagery. It's the imagery that you created. He just CGI'd it. Come on, people. We can't be, we can't be this dumb. We can't be. What about the children? Yes. What about the children? What about the 14-year-olds like little Nas X, who people keep telling are going to hell and the damnation for being gay? What about those children? You don't mean the gay kids. You mean straight kids, which, again, I can't believe this has to be explained in 2021. If your kid sees a video of a gay person and then is like, I'm gay. Your kid wasn't turned gay. Your kid felt comfortable enough to come out. You, you can't turn straight people gay by watching TV. That, that's just not how it works. If that was the case, and this is not an original thought, it's been said a million times, but people seem not to get it. There would be no gay kids if that's how this whole thing worked. There'd be no gay people if that's how this whole thing worked. Because gay kids, gay people are inundated with images of heterosexual love, relationships, sex. It's, it's everywhere. It's in cartoons. It's, it's, it's on billboards. It's in commercials. It's everywhere. And somehow, they gay. Oh my God, I'm just getting, my, I feel like my head is about to blow a fucking gasket. <sighs> Seeing gay people exist on TV, in commercials, in videos... It's healthy. Gay people exist. We can't just ignore them. I mean, we tried that for a really long time. It really didn't go over very well. You just have a bunch of miserable people trying to suppress themselves and then doing crazy shit to deal with their pain. We don't need any more of that. We've had enough. And I say that as a Christian. I mean, I'm not a perfect Christian, obviously. But Jesus Christ, I can get the part right about, like, not hating gay people. It's not hard. You just don't do it. I can't believe this has to be fucking explained. It's, I, ugh. Do me a favor. If you're going to discuss this Nas, this little Nas X video, if you're going to post on Facebook about it, if you're going to post on social media, um, if you're going to do uh, clubhouse conversations, because I, I was in I was in one for hours over the weekend. It started off really well. And then like the hoteps got involved about like the image of masculinity and the conspiracy to bring the black man down. And no, nigga, everything is not about straight black men. You can be a you can be black and a man and not be straight. And it doesn't make you any less of a man. The way black men can sometimes have this way of centering themselves as like the baseline for normalcy in the same way that like white men do and then exclude black men from it. The way that some black men just mimic the power structure that oppresses them without any self-awareness or any irony will never not be baffling to me. It's such a strange fucking thing to do. When you have these conversations, since you insist on having them, I absolutely insist that you have a conversation about the way Christianity oppresses the LGBTQIA community. Because that's really what this whole video was about. 
and trying to talk about everything but that, you just look stupid. You want to stop little Nas X? You think he's such a horrible influence? Stop treating gay people like shit that makes his platform pointless. You want a solution to your problem? There it is. You want more black people to attend church and get their lives right? How about stop telling them they're going to hell? More people might show up for service. I don't know. Last but certainly not least, a dear friend of mine has a new book coming out today, The Budget Nista. She's on a whirlwind media tour right now, but I was able to catch up with her before things got too crazy. Her new book, which hits stores today, March 30th, Get Good With Money. It's 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole. And she gave me all 10 of the simple steps. I was like, girl, you just going to give me the steps? And she was like, yeah, I want you to get your money right. So she shares the 10 steps with us and a lot of other good things. And she talks about, because, you know, people always talk about budgets. And I was like, okay, we'll do the budget. When can I spend, sis? When can I spend? Like, I save all this money. I invest all this money. When can I spend it? And we talk about that, too. So if you are not familiar with Tiffany Aliche, let me give you just a wee bit of background. Tiffany is the award-winning teacher of financial education and America's favorite personal financial educator. In addition to her most recent book, she is the number one best-selling author of the One Week Budget and the Live Richer Challenge series. Through her company, The Budget Nista, Tiffany has created a financial movement that has helped over 1 million women worldwide collectively save more than $200 million and pay off over $100 million in debt. Tiffany, who lives in Newark, New Jersey, she credits her experience as a preschool teacher for 10 years for defining her purpose behind the budget nista. And her purpose is education. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Tiffany Aliche, the budget nista, to Ratchet and Respectable. Tiffany, I am so excited to be on the podcast with you today. Thank you for coming on Ratchet and Respectable. Well, thank you for having me. You've been my friend in my head for a long time. And I was like, yes. Are we still friend in head status? I mean, like we're friends. Yes, 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 we are. We were doing a little kiki beforehand, but yes, I, I could definitely say that. I remember the first time I met you in person. I think you were at, was it, um, what was that Beverly Bonds? Uh, Black Girls Rock, right? I think it was in Newark. Mm-hmm. And then you turned around and you said, I know that cadence of speech. <laughs> and you're like, Budgetista? I was like, yes, indeed it is I. And I think I think that's our, that was our first meeting. I'm so weird that way. I can't remember people's names for anything, but I can recognize like your voice. I'd be like, oh, I know that voice. And then turn around and be like, hey, I know you, but I don't know you. <laughs> yes. but now we're going to be friends. But I remember the last time I saw you, I want to say it was ABFF. And I don't think I knew you were in a movie like yes. my friend was doing the publicity. I want to say it was for Prudential. Maybe? Yes, it was for Prudential. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, stuff like that. I remember. I was there because my friend invited me to wish it. And I'm like sitting there watching the film and then like you go across the screen. And I was like, oh! I was so excited for you. I know. It's been honestly a wild and crazy ride to like what's happening now, especially the last, I want to say year and a half. It's been breakneck speed. I can barely catch my breath, but I'm I'm blessed, you know, you have to be like, I'm blessed, Jesus, don't take it. But I'm just saying it's it's been it's been crazy. It has been crazy. But what's coming up is not crazy. Your new book? Yes. Uh, get good with money. It is my love letter to sisters. Um, like all throughout you will hear me call you sis. Um, because I just felt like we deserve to have like 
We deserve to have a manual that was laden with love to walk you step by step through what I call financial wholeness. You know, not wholeness, you know, not the ratchet. This is the respectable part. Wholeness. This is the respectable part. Okay, wholeness. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that another time. We're not recording. <laughs> and I, I wanted because I, 10 years ago, I was really at like in the dregs of my financial drama and trauma. And as I was digging my way out, I was like, how come there's no clear, concise guide to tell me what to do from beginning to end? And I used to be a school teacher before I started the Budgetista. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to create the guide that we all need. And so Get Good With Money was born. I started writing it during um, pandemic and, and quarantine. And I thought, if we had had this during that time, so many of us would have had such a strong financial foundation. We wouldn't have been shaken to the core as we as we have been. I know your story, but some of my readers may not. You lost your job and that caused you to lose your home. How did everything go, go I guess, to crap? And then how did you build it back up? Anytime your life has gone to shit, you know, it's been, you thought you was grown. So I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my father was a CFO and an accountant. And so he taught my four sisters and I how to manage our money. And so I just used to do what he told me to do. Like daddy said, daddy said, and then when about 25, 26, I was like, girl, you're grown. Who needs to ask daddy with his two degrees in finance and economics? Why should you ask your father who knows all the things? So (laughs) I stepped out on my own and I leaned into a male friend of mine. I'd known for like five years and I was young enough then in my my mid to early 20s to think that when you had nice things, it meant you had money. You know, now we know better. Do we? Um, But he had like the Porsche. Well, hopefully, you know, some of us. (laughs) But he had like the Porsche, the penthouse, all these things. So I asked him to teach me how to invest. And instead, he got me involved in a credit card scheme that left me $35,000 in debt instead. Soon after that, I, I, I just graduated with my master's. So that was $52,000 worth of debt. And right before that, I, I bought a condo uh, when I was 25 because I felt like, you know, I'm grown now. I can afford one. And I could. Um, and so now I had a mortgage, student loan debt, this $35,000 in debt. And then my, my, my school closed its doors um, a year or so after that during the recession, the Great Recession in 2009. And so it was just tumble after tumble after tumble. And I found myself moving back home with my parents, age 29, going on 30. My parents are are Nigerian, which meant that I still had a midnight curfew at 29. My dad was like, where are you going? There's nothing in the streets. I mean, you live here but was now. he lying? But was he lying? What was <laughs> no, he lying? He <laughs> oh, he wasn't, but still, I was still. like, oh my gosh. So it was just like, it was like, it was really dark times because I was always known as like the go-to girl for financial like savviness amongst my friends. And so there was just a lot of shame there. And um, it took a good girlfriend, my best friend, Linda, to kind of call me after I'd been avoiding her. And um, she was like, what's wrong? And I told her like, I owe credit card debt. I lost my house and all the things. And she was like, "Uh, welcome to the world, sis. I'm calling Mm -hmm. you from my mama's couch right now. Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so if you are listening and you're feeling like it's just you, I promise you that it's not. Um, and so Linda gave me the permission I needed to forgive myself. And one thing I did know is I had a great financial foundation and foundation is such, such a theme in my life, Demetria. Like when I taught preschool, preschool is fin- foundational education for the rest of your educational life. And I realized that like that, that's what I'm best at. And that's what get good with money is all about. It's about the 10 steps to financial wholeness, which is your financial foundation. 
10 steps, sis? I can get my financial life together in just 10 steps? Yes, I promise you. There, the thing is that it does require work, but it's not hard work. It's possible, doable work. You just need someone to explain it to you clearly. And if nothing else, I know how to do that. Like That's what 10 years of teaching preschool has equipped me with, is to take you from a place of no knowledge to a place of knowledge with joy, with fun, and with understanding. That's what I love most about your your approach to financial wellness is it comes from a place, one, that you've been there, and then two, of encouragement and not shaming and humiliating people for making bad choices. I just don't get that. Like, you know, there are some financial, I don't even like the word financial guru. I'm like, I'm your financial girlfriend, right? So I don't understand how we invite some of these financial gurus into our churches just to holler and scream and yell at us and tell us how bad we are if we spent over, overspent, right? I just don't understand that. I don't think there's a place for shame in education. How is that helpful? The teacher in me, the educator in me, like it just like it, it's just studies show that it's just not helpful. If you're wanting someone to create lasting change, you know, creating an environment where it's comfortable, where you give them the grace and the space to grow and learn, that is that is really the best way. And so, yeah, that has always been my way. I always say I'm more Mr. Rogers than Simon Cowell <laughs> if we talk about white men. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what are the biggest financial issues facing Black women? I know one is budget. Another one's got to be credit. Credit. Girl. Yes. I would say credit and debt. Well, one in general, Black folks in general, we have way more student loan debt than almost any other population. You know, we go to school and um, we take out more loans because they're needed. And as a result, we are laden with these loans. And so you can have people who make a a great deal of money, but then they owe $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 in student loan debt. And there's interest being piled on top of that. So that is definitely the thing I hear about most than credit um, because folks want to buy homes, they want to buy cars, and credit is a lever to enable you to use a little to get a whole lot more. And so people don't know how to raise their credit score or to keep a healthy um, credit balance. And then I say budgeting, like no one ever comes to me and says, help me with my budget because they don't care. They're like, they either want to invest, fix their credit, or get out of debt. But I always slide in what I call the peas with the pizza. Mm-hmm. So while I'm teaching you credit, you're getting some budgeting because you need it. While I'm teaching you how to invest, you're getting some budgeting because you need it. Um, and so it is that, that is those one of the 10 steps in the in the in the book. Budgeting is first and foremost, but really the pre-step is mindset because you have to shift your mindset if you're gonna be able to hold this new way of thinking and being and moving. What is the mindset that we need to have in order to be um, financially savvy. Well, first you have to release the shame. I promise you, if you are struggling in silence with your finances, it's because of shame. And so I just employed somebody I needed so badly, Dr. Green. She is my coach. She's a therapist as well. And so she was like, Tiffany, shame is such a dangerous emotion because shame is a liar. Shame doesn't say, Demetria, you made a mistake. Shame says, Demetria, you are a mistake. mistake. Yes. And shame thrives in shadow. It thrives in silence. It thrives in in you keeping things to yourself. You know, it loves that. And so the only antidote to shame is voice. 
You have to give voice to what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're holding back. That's why after my good girlfriend, my best friend, Linda, asked me like what was happening and I told her, I was able to start to see there was a way out because shame sealed, shields you from solutions as well. And so one of the things that I created beyond just um, the book is I have this um, online community on Facebook called Dreamcatchers Live Richer with the Budget Nista. There are half a million of us. 90% of us are Black women. You know, there's a handful of men in there. I always remind them that they're guests of a guest, <laughs> so you eat last. <laughs> and so... But I created that because I know everyone doesn't have an act doesn't have access to to a Linda, you know. And I know that women, especially Black women, work best in community. So it provides a place for you to have accountability, encouragement, someone that's going to normalize the process because there's nothing that you have gone through that someone else has not gone through and fixed for herself and is not willing to share with you. She will, and so like. Your mindset, in order to ready yourself, in order to receive solutions, number one thing you have to shed is shame. I love that. I love that. Now, Tiffany, I know a lot of people, we talk about savings and we talk about budgeting and we talk about all the things that we're supposed to do right. When is it okay to be like a little messy? When can I literally go blow a bag on a bag? Can I? (laughs) You can. Honestly, this is something that's even hard for me because you work so hard, especially if you struggled and you've had some broke times, which I've definitely had. I can distinctly remember laying in my middle school extra schmedium, a small medium bed. And I was like 30. And I remember looking up at the ceiling like, yo, the last time you laid in this bed, You had more money than sis. You had more money babysitting the neighbor's kids as a teenager than you do as a grown 30 year old woman. This is your life now. It was really dark times, but I say this that, like, wait, look, girl, I don't forgot. I feel like Nicole Walter. I don't forgot the question. No, when can I? Um, when can I spend? Like, when is it okay to yes. to splurge? Am I ever allowed to splurge, or am I just saving, Absolutely. budgeting? That's what financial wholeness is all about—to get yourself to this, like, this strong foundation that you can enjoy your money more. You don't have to wait until you're debt-free to splurge. But if your bills are not late, your bills are on time. If you, um, you know, you're paying down your debt, you don't have to be debt-free. You know, and you're setting money aside for some sort of retirement then you can splurge from time to time. And the more that you lean into those things, so your retirement is being fully funded every year, and not only you know are your bills not late, but you know, you're maybe a little bit early. And not only are you paying down debt, but you know, maybe you're mostly debt-free, then you could splurge even more. Because life is about enjoyment. Like you're you're supposed to enjoy your money as well as use it responsibly. And if you're not, then like what are we here for? I always so in the book I give you these um Four questions to ask yourself before you spend any money. Do I need it? Do I love it? Do I like it? Do I want it? Need it, love it, like it, want it. So when you're going out to spend money, you ask yourself, is this a need? That is your first priority. Food, shelter, clothing to be covered, not to be cute, water, right? Like medicine, transportation, your needs come first. And people wouldn't think this, but your loves come second. Loves are things that bring you lasting joy. Ask yourself, a year from now, will I still get joy joy from this purchase? So maybe it's like a trip that you're going to take and you you know you really love to travel. Like see me some world, hashtag I'll be following girl. Right? <laughs> maybe it's like food. Maybe you're a super foodie. And you know, a year from now you're gonna remember this filet mignon and you're like, it was so good. Whatever that is, then your money should go there second. 
you know, your needs, you have to pay your bills, you have to make sure you're safe, then you're loved. But what I find is people skip over loves and go to likes and wants. Likes are things that up to six months, you might still get some joy from and wants are, there's no real joy. It's just an instant satisfaction. And the reason why people skip over joy is because oftentimes the things that bring you the most joy sometimes cost a little bit more. It might take you a little time to save for vacation or to buy that meal that's a little bit more expensive. So that's what I remind people of is that if you live in the needs and the love side of your life, that's where you're going to have more enjoyment with your money versus the likes and the wants. Anytime you spend on likes and wants, it doesn't mean you you can't just know though that it's taking away from your needs and your love. I, I spend without guilt. You know, I'm able to say, well, Tiffany, all of your needs are taken care of. So you want to go on vacation you can afford it because you've taken care of your needs. And I reduce my likes and wants so I have excess money to go to go toward it. I saw this meme the other day that my friend Rihanna tagged me in. She was like, yo, um, um, friends without kids be like, girl, I'm bored. You want to go to Africa on Friday? <laughs> and I was like, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Literally, that's me. Like my friend Cabral one day was like, I was like, oh, I'm so stressed. You know, like I'm working so hard. He was like, well, I'm going to Greece next week. And I was like, I don't know. I should go to Greece. And my husband was like, girl, go to Greece. I was like, well, I'll be in Greece with you. And you can do that if you set yourself up to to get good with money. When people talk about financial freedom, does it mean I can run off to Greece at the last minute if I like, if I follow your rules? Well, I actually don't like the term financial freedom because financial freedom, I feel like it's like not inclusive, right? Because it's like you have this pile of money and you don't have to work anymore. And I don't know that the majority of us are going to get there, at least not, you know, in your 20s and 30s and maybe not even your 40s. So that's why I really lean toward this is what financial wholeness looks like. That, yes, you have full command of your money because a few people in their lifetime will reach financial freedom before they are elderly. But everyone can reach financial wholeness no matter your age. No matter how much you make, no matter what you do for a living. That's why the subtitle of Get Good With Money is 10 Simple Steps to Becoming Financially Whole. It's accessible to everyone. And yes, that's what it looked like. I actually traveled the most when I was making the least amount of money in my early 30s. Mm-hmm. It is possible to shift your money from places that don't bring you lasting joy to the places that do. I was willing to say, no, 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 here. It's to say yes here. So I was notorious to telling my friends, like, they're like, you want to go to brunch? I'm like, oh, no, girl. I'm saying yes to Morocco in two weeks. I'm saying yes to India. I'm saying yes to 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 Nigeria. I'm, these are places I've been. I'm saying yes to Monaco. Yes to, to Panama, Costa Rica. I've been to over 30 different countries when I had the least amount of money because I said yes to the things that meant the most to me, but there was a lot of no to things that really did not. I love that. Like the brokest year of my adult life when I was 37, 38, living in the guest bedroom of my parents' home, 10 different countries and 12 different cities, was just bopping around everywhere. But like you said, I turned down the brunches. Like I would love to do four seasons brunch. I don't have 120 for brunch right now, but I do have money to like go to Haiti. I do have money to go to Ghana. I do have money to go to Bali. I get it. Exactly, exactly. I want you to lean into the yes of your life. I I tease my friends that like your your budget is like your black mama. You're like, Ma, can I um go outside? Yes, after you finish your homework. Can I have dessert? Yes, if you eat dinner. Your budget is there to say yes, if, after, and or. 
Like your budget wants you to have the good things in life, but it wants what's actually best for you, just like your mama, you know, because we think of budget sometimes as like this restrictive thing, you know, like black moms are so strict. No, she's looking out what's for what's best for you. She wants you to have a fully enjoyable life that you can actually maintain. And so that's what your budget wants for you. It's truly your say yes plan. I had to do a mind shift around creating a budget and sticking to one because when I see the money taken out of the core account, because once I take it out, I pretend it doesn't exist, but I mm-hmm. keep forgetting like it's still my money. It's just not in the core account. Like it's, it's still there. It still exists if I really want it. Exactly. And it's there and accessible to you. And once you start to have accounts, like you have your emergency account, like I have a year's worth of, of um, expenses saved, you know, just in case, you know, shit should hit the fan. Right. But then I also, you know, I set aside for things that I, I truly like want to enjoy. Like when outside was open, I totally had a, a travel account where I would put my money and I'd be like, you know, let me see what's open and available. Um, I used to travel, I would say at least four or five times a year, I would go someplace. I actually, I love traveling internationally, but then I really started to get into traveling domestically. Like some of my favorite cities are Savannah. I love Savannah. I love San Diego. You know, Um, I love to, uh, where is it? Um, It was so beautiful um, in not Taos. Is it New Mexico? But New Mexico was amazing. I went to, um, um, where's the, the hot air balloon capital of the world? Uh, Albuquerque. So I didn't love Albuquerque as much as I loved um, whatever's next to Albuquerque, but it's such a beautiful places to see. There's so many beautiful places to see and the world truly can be your oyster kids or not. You know, no matter what your job is, it truly can be your oyster if you lean into using your money as one of the tools to crack that oyster open. And I think that it's high time that that black women had a guide to help them help them get there. You deserve you are worthy, sis. I love it. I love it. I love it. I know I keep saying that, but it's true. I love it. There's so much. um I don't even necessarily want to call it advice. I'll just call them memes. There are so many memes circulating about finances. I love to call it like LLC Twitter or LLC <laughs> Instagram. Yes. What is the, what would you say maybe like the biggest fallacy of the financial information that's just sort of put out there? What would you say are some of the biggest myths that are floating around about uh, financial literacy? So one of the biggest myths that I see perpetuated sometimes from the financial industry itself is that before you do anything, you have to get debt free, like debt free over everything. Like if you look up um, hashtag debt free or hashtag debt free fam or whatever, like you'll see some of the biggest names in personal finance. That is the crusade that their crusade that they're on. But I always share like I've got a nephew. He doesn't have a car note. He doesn't have a student loan. He doesn't have a mortgage. He is totally debt free and he's broke. Because Roman is five. <laughs> if debt-free equal wealth, Roman will be out here rolling in the dough. Y'all know a bunch of broke toddlers, just like I do. Debt freedom is not wealth because if it, if it was, your toddler would be contributing to your bills. They are not. You know, so I want to break that cycle of thinking debt freedom is wealth because it's especially pushed on our community. There was a study that was done that found like the number one goal for black community for the black community financial goal for us is to become debt free and the number one goal for um people at large um is to grow wealth the thing about debt freedom is it's a goal but not the goal you know like you can start to work on as you grow wealth you can pick up debt freedom on the way 
You know, you're not supposed to stop there. And so I wish that that was something that would go away. But yes, or like the um, the other one, the other meme is that, yes, that everyone should start a business. I'm here. It's hard. It ain't for everybody. Nah. There's nothing wrong with having a job that pays some some, you know, like raise your bills regularly. I'm so glad that my husband has a regular job because that's how I have health insurance. Girl. Good health insurance. <laughs> I told him, I'm like, bro, we got money, but let me tell you what we don't have. Health insurance, if you leave that state job, mm-mm. Mm-hmm. he got about five more years that we could take it with us. I'm like, you can retire after that. There's no shame in working. Um, and a lot of people love what they actually do. So that that whole everyone should start a business, everyone is not built for that. And then I always always share too, because if everyone, you know, started a business, then who would feed the babies? You know, like who would be teaching? Who's driving buses? Who's going to fix your car? You know, like people need to do different things in order for this world to work. So that's one. And then one that I find kind of funny is I just think it's just the dumbest. It'll be like, um, would you rather have $10,000 or 850 credit score? So that's like 850 is the highest FICO score you can have. And people be like, ooh, give me the credit score, sis. No, dummy. Take the $10,000. <laughs> right? Like, I just don't understand. I'm like, mm Like, the $10,000 is actual cash. I, people give credit too much credit. You know, that first of all, you don't need an 850 because credit is a range. And the beginning of perfect credit is 740. So your friends are like, you know, I got an 802. Nobody cares, sis. Because my 740, me and you getting the same interest rate on this home loan, you know? So don't let your friend with her 820 feel like she's better than you with your eight, with your 750. You and sis are the same in the eyes of people who are lending to you. So that's another one too, that like giving credit too much credit. So yeah, those are those memes that I'm like, hopefully I dispelled them. So you just mentioned home loan. And I think that's really important because it's something I was recently contemplating. Is buying a home the only way to build wealth? Because I feel like everyone's like, you got to buy, you got to buy. And I was like, is renting that bad? No, it's not. If you would have said 20 years ago, I would have said, you know what? Get a home, get a home. It is, it's a cornerstone for wealth. And it don't get me wrong. It still can be if purchased properly, um, but most people are not. And so purchased properly, meaning this, that, so we live on the coast, you know, I live in Jersey. And so on the coast, homes turn, tend to um, appreciate, go up in value. So for example, I purchased the home that I live now and with my husband, it was a foreclosure, $180,000. It probably appraises, I, I put in another 180 in renovations. So it probably will appraise for four something now. So there's probably like 30, 40, $50,000 in equity in that home. So that's purchasing properly, purchasing a property that you know is going to appreciate over time. That's one. Or sometimes people purchase, you know, and you buy real estate. Like I bought um, the city and, and lots of cities do this. They sell tax deeds. And that's just when they take someone's home that hasn't paid their taxes. And I bought a home from the city for $10,000. Now it was a broken down house, but it's also next to this new train station that they're building that's going to go straight to New York City and straight to Newark Airport. So I purchased this $10,000 house, put some money into it. Um, and the next five years, you know, the train station should be ready, but we'll rent it out until then. And then maybe Airbnb it for people who want to Airbnb next to a train station. So so it's possible, but you have to look at your home, even your primary source, like where you're living as an investment, you know? So if you are going to purchase a home now, you want to make sure that you're doing so in a way that you're going to get more money out than you're going to put into that home. Because if not, then you're absolutely right. It's it can actually make you broker. Like my parents 
gone are the days where like my parents bought our house, like our family house when I was like nine. And so they still live there. It's a really nice um, town in central New Jersey. They bought it for two fifty. It's now worth $700,000. So that's what people used to do back then. But things don't navigate like that now. We've seen home prices crash. That's what happened during the last, um, during the great recession, that home prices crashed. And I suspect that we're going to see that coming up again because homes are jumping in value because people are moving out of cities after, you know, the COVID, the the vid, they're wanting homes now. And I think that prices are a little bit inflated. So I I just don't know that buying a home is is a guaranteed source of wealth. There are other things you can do. What else can I do? I'm going to ask you that a whole separate time. (laughs) I always like to ask this question. Is there anything that I have not asked you that you want my readers to know about? either your book or about you or anything. Let me just quickly tell you guys the, 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 the 10 actual steps to financial wholeness. One, budgeting. Two, saving. Three, credit. Four, debt. Five, learning how to earn. Six, investing. Seven, insurance. Eight, net worth. Nine, finding your financial team. And 10, estate planning. I share this to share that once you have a solid financial foundation, it is possible to build to whatever heights you imagine. I am legit a self-made millionaire multiple times over. And this is within 10 years of literally 10 years ago, right about now, I'd be waking up the kids from a nap. Talking about Cora, I said, get up, girl. Your mama's going to be here. You know she don't like it if your hair's not done. <laughs> like, that was my life. 10 years, <laughs> Ten years Cora, ago. Cora. Right? <laughs> and so now, but when you build a financial foundation, it's like with any house, you can build whatever house you want on top of that. And so, yeah, like I, I got to remind my husband that all the time when he's fussing over 50 cents that he could have saved. I'm like, bruh, we rich now. <laughs> And he was like, I know, but you know, honestly, bananas are really cheaper at ShopRite. We didn't have to go to, you love to go to Whole Foods. I'm like, you know what? I'm the budget nista, but like. <laughs> Look, I'm not mad at husband. I'm not mad at husband. It's the principality of the matter. It's the principality of saving 50 cents on these bananas. You're not going to upcharge me That's what I knew. Fruit. Like, I'm it took me a couple of years, but one time somebody asked me, when did you know you, you know, you actually had money? I remember I went to Whole Foods and for the first time ever in life, I didn't add up what my groceries were going to be before like they rung me up because I knew whatever it is, I got it. And I was like, oh my God, girl, you got money. You got you money. You got money. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I want that for all of us. We all deserve, sis. You can have money too. And so that's why I wrote Get Good With Money. Thank you for sharing the tips because I wasn't going to ask you because I wasn't going to ask you to give the whole book away. But one of the things that I absolutely adore about you is how free you are with your knowledge. Like you've learned these skills. You want everyone else to be as happy, successful, successful and have financial wellness in the way that you do. I love that about you. Oh, no, thank you. I yeah, I don't I don't believe in holding back. I, I think that like if you have to do the gotcha gotcha, then there's something wrong with what you're doing. You know, I believe that giving activates abundance. My life is testament to that. Can I share where they can get the book? Of course you can. So you can get the book at getgoodwithmoney.com. Please use that link because I had to pay for it because somebody in London had it. It was not trying to give it up to your girl. Somebody had don't waste your pretty for a really long time. No. Like, Are you kidding me? Yeah. It was early on, but still. So yes, I thankfully they were like, who who's asking? 
So I leaned in. I was like, I'm just a black girl from Jersey. I would just love to buy it. Meanwhile, I'm out here like, hey, hey, you thought you should have never gave it up so quickly, sir. So yeah, get good with money.com. Let's use the hell out of that link. Um, and thank you so much, Demetria. This has been awesome sauce. You're super welcome. And where can they follow you online for like just day to day? Because like the conversation that we're having right now, you go on live and you talk to people like you're, you're talking to friends. I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am the budget niece on all the socials. My favorite um, is Instagram, but I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, YouTube. I'm on TikTok, although my 14-year-old stepdaughter will not teach me how to use it. So you won't see nothing over there. <laughs> we too old to be on TikTok. Let, the, let that for the young people. I know. Let she said it. She's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, Tiffy. That's what she calls me, Tiffy. Uh-uh, no. It's mm-hmm. not It's not for you. But um, no, I go live on Instagram. And like when I have a lesson on my heart, you know, I might be in my PJs or my auntie robe or my um, just getting ready for bed. So having my, my locks laid down. But if I have a lesson, y'all going to get it because- for me, teaching is truly like why I was put here. I know that a hundred thousand percent that my purpose is to teach, whether it's through book books, whether it's through my podcast, Brown Ambition, whether it's through my online school, Literature Literature Academy. But teaching truly is like why I was created. So I love, love, love to teach. So if you need some, if you need some schooling and money, and even if you don't have the coin to get the book, you can always get free information from me, especially on Instagram. Wonderful. Well, I have a copy of the book that was sent to me. I'm going to go ahead and go buy another copy. Did you do an audio book for this one? I did, which was brutal. Child, they didn't tell me how hard those things were, but I did do the audio version. And okay, um, so, yeah, so if you want to get the audio version, um, go ahead and get that too. Like, honestly, I, and I'll just give you a little tea behind the scenes. I didn't even want to be on the cover of the book, Demetria, because I said, ain't Why nobody going to buy a book, a finance book with a black woman on the cover, except for us. I just was, I really was like, they're not going to buy it. And thankfully Penguin Random House, who is my publisher and and Heather Jackson, who is my agent, they were like, no, you need to be on the cover of this book. Cause they tried other things. They're like, Tiffany, no. Cause they asked me and I was like, no, I don't want to be on the, cause I'm like, yeah, I want, you know, I wanted to have universal appeal. And I'm so glad that they forced my hand because when it came in the mail and my stepdaughter saw her, she is like, I'm chocolate and she's double chocolate. She squealed with the light, was like, can I have a copy? And I said, oh, sure. I'm thinking she's just going to keep it on her shelf. I heard her tell her little girlfriend on her little iPhone, talking about, girl, I'm about to get my money straight. My stepmother's book came in. <laughs> Meanwhile, what money at 14? But it just, it. Aww. we need to Aww. be on covers. And that's why I love seeing you on yours. We, there needs to be more representation. So I love the fact that now I'm on the cover of this book. So. I would have fought you if you if you told me this story when you were going through it. I would have flown to Jersey in a pandemic with a mask on and been bring your ass outside. Come out. You deserve. Like you you've done the work and you've been doing it for a very long time. And your beautiful smiling face and, and your your beautiful locks and all of your brownness like needs to be seen and celebrated on a cover, girl. You deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on Ratchet and Respectable and sharing all of your amazing advice. Well, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, no, your audience is awesome. I told you, I keep up to date, girl. I be knowing all the things. I'm like, Demetria, where is my episode? Look, I'm busy right now. <laughs> Folks be mad at me if the episode's not up by midnight. Like angry, angry at like 12.05. <laughs> Are we getting this now or do we have to wait until one? Because they know the schedule Meanwhile, now. Meanwhile, with my like, don't waste your pretty like pink and red sweatshirt, I'm like, girl, sis, I'm all in. I am a stan, a fan. Okay? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I- I love Tiff. She's the best. We had a 20 minute conversation before the interview about like my personal finances. I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? 
It's like, should I buy something? Should I not buy something? Should I just continue just like invest all my money? Because I don't know what else to do with it. She also gave me a recommendation for a financial advisor, which I was like, thanks, sis. I need that. But congratulations again to Tiffany on her new book, Get Good With Money, which is available on March 30th. So, you know, if you need a little help with your finances, need to get out some debt, need to change your thinking around money, need to just tighten up. Maybe you're doing good, but you just need to, you know, like Kegels for your bank account, tighten it up. Please pick up her book. (laughs) So that is it for today's episode of Ratchet and Respectable. There is still merch for Don't Waste Your Pretty on the site. It's a little warm out. For the hoodies, I think we might tuck those away for the season, definitely by mid-April. So if you want a Don't Waste Your Pretty hoodie, they are still available on the site. And if you want a coffee mug or you want a signed copy of Don't Waste Your Pretty, I said I was going to finish signing them by the end of March. Actually, I'm going to do that because I've signed like a lot of books. If you want a signed copy of Don't Waste Your Pretty, I'll do them for a week. I'll do them until April 6th. So if you want a signed copy of the second edition of Don't Waste Your Pretty, those are the only ones I'm signing now. Um, you can get them on my website, Demetria L. Lucas, until April 6th. You can also get the hoodies. I'll keep those up until April 15th. I know it still gets chilly at night in some places. So maybe you want your hoodie. Okay. The Don't Waste Your Pretty t-shirts are also on sale. We have them in white and gold and pink and red for now. There may be other colors coming. And there's also Ratchet and Respectable merch um, that we're working on. We're trying to figure out exactly what that's going to look like. So I will keep you posted on that. But all of it is available on my website, DemetriaLLucas.com. If you aren't following me on social media, but you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook um, at Demetria L. Lucas. That feels like everything. That is everything. So I will talk to you again on Friday. Okay, bye. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.